dump. News dump, yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a landslide! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. Week two of training camp and week two of the final dump is here. Welcome to the show. Brendan Dworzynski, Matt Fralick with you. The second edition of the newest podcast here at Game On Wisconsin. And we thought there was a lot going on last week. We were talking about Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, Ryan Gutekunst. Well, finally, we have actual action on the field. We've got practices. We've got more press conferences. We've got shakeups roster-wise and all of that. And Matt, it was fun to sort of get back into just talking football in general, but it feels good that guys have the pads on. They're doing one-on-ones. They're doing drills. You were at practice this week. You got to see some of it up close and personal, and uh, it just feels different when you actually see real football, real play calls, real things like that. Uh, feels good to finally be back, and it feels like we're at least inching a little bit closer to what this 2021 Packers team is actually going to look like. Hell yeah. Seventh practice. Uh, that put the put the pads on again today after having a kind of a walkthrough day on Wednesday. We're obviously recording Thursday here. So it was awesome to get to training camp today. Awesome to check things out. Um, I, you know, we kind of hit on some big things last week. Obviously, Rogers return, Randall Cobb coming back and putting the green and gold, Dennis Kelly signing Gudekunz. But like, and even when I got through the weekend last week and kind of uh, we recorded pack a day as well. Uh, make sure you guys listen to that. I kind of just figured it was. Dust was going to settle and things were going to kind of we're going to we were going to be able to evaluate talent a little bit better. And I felt like that was across the board. People on Twitter, uh, the beat writers, you know, the bloggers, the podcasters all out there. I feel like it was easy. It's, it was easier this week to really sit down and look at, you know, this 90 man roster and really figure it out and see where these moving pieces are. And um, there's been some turn Jacksons along the way, some you know injuries along the way, too, which has been great. But overall, it, it, I really enjoyed week two thus far. It's it's been absolute blast. Well, let's start right there with these roster shakeups, injuries, guys moving all over the place because, you know, the during training camp all throughout, you see, oh, wow, they signed this guy to this position. Well, didn't expect that. Sometimes it's just depth. You just need some bodies because of injuries. Sometimes guys are moving around, retiring for whatever reason because they realize it's, it's just not their time or whatever. Uh, let's get into some of those transactions, though, this week and include the injury wire in that, too, because uh, it's frankly been a pretty busy couple of days for the Packers front office. It's been volatile. Like the injuries have just been like back and forth, back and forth. Today, thankfully, Josiah DeGuar came back. That was that was awesome. He was activated off the pup list. Uh, we saw Kevin King today actually uh, while practicing. Him and Red, him and uh, Will Redmond were kind of paired up, just nursing their injuries. Uh, at one point, Kevin King came out on the field on the practice field and like had his jersey with him, but like didn't wear it. He just like threw it to the side and. I'd, I feel like that's just like a telltale of like, yeah, I'm just not practicing. And obviously he hasn't been activated yet with that hamstring injury. Um, like I said, him and Will Redmond were hanging out. They were doing their thing. Um, also, we saw Dominique Daphne and Isaiah McDuffie. McDuffie was placed in the pup list uh, last week. And uh, Daphne is still nursing injury. They were kind of going ha- together like a little pair, just still getting in work, but very, very gingerly. Nothing extreme. I think Will Redmond, I saw him run from sideline to sideline in the end zone probably like a dozen times, just back and forth, high stepping and just really getting his high knees and just really getting his lower body engaged. Um, other than that, Kamal Martin wasn't out there today either. Uh, like I said, Daphne's still on the pup. Kiki Kin- uh, Kinsley Kiki's out there. Ramsey's still on the pup. And then Bakhtiari obviously on the pup yet. So it's nothing too concerning yet. I mean, as far as talent goes, I would say the most concerning one outside of David Bakhtiari is probably Kevin King. Um, but everyone else is 
pretty interchangeable. Um, unfortunately for Kamal Martin today, actually, uh, Ty Summers was getting some extra reps too, and I think it'll be interesting to see how he works his back himself back up on the uh, on the depth chart uh, come when he whenever he's healthy. Yeah, and I think to me too, right there with you. Like, I mean, Kevin King is. It's one of those situations where you just know this comes with the territory at this point, that there's going to be either injury concerns or an injury at some point during the year. And I mean, not that there's any real scientific backing behind this, but if you can say, all right, well, he's got the the injury bug out of the way early and he's going to be healthy for a 17 game regular season. Well, then fantastic. But again, it's just certain players have that injury bug that they're just never able to shake. And I know Kevin King has caught so much flack, especially at the end of last season. We all remember the NFC Championship game, but Kevin King is a fine cornerback too. Mm-hmm. You you need to have a second cornerback. Not every team is going to have a pair of Jair Alexanders out there or a pair of Jalen Ramseys. I mean, you've got to have your number one guy and then a number two guy, and, and he's fine for that. And obviously this team takes a hit, and we'll get to the defensive backs here in a little bit, but you want your regular number two to be out there. So for him to miss any number of reps is obviously unfortunate as he is kind of an approve it year coming back on that one year deal uh, and Kamal Martin as well, because I think he really inspired hope in a lot of fans this past year and in the coaching staff as well, that he can be an important piece for this team. Obviously they're trying to work him inside and outside so far we heard throughout the week. So for him to miss out on some reps, I think is very important too. I mean, really for any player to miss out on reps is, is an unfortunate miss, but for him, especially for a group that just has been struggling for years now, and it feels like he could really be a piece there, but yeah, it, it's hard for him to lose reps. The biggest bright spot for me on the, the injury wire side of it, I'm just super excited for Josiah DeGuara to be back. I know that's a very niche Packers Twitter take. Oh man, the H back is back. But <laughs> seriously, you look at these kind of offenses before you look, you know, everything Kyle Juszczyk did for years uh, for the Kyle Shanahan offense in San Francisco and similar players to that. I think you look, okay, if Josiah DeGuara can be anything like that, maybe even more of a pass catching threat out of the backfield, that's just an incredible weapon to have for this offense. And I kind of feel like getting him back in the fold, you get true slot receivers this year coming in, whether it's Randall Cobb coming back, the rookie Amari Rogers, you're kind of getting these final pieces to unlock the final form of what this offense can be under Matt LaFleur and with Nathaniel Hackett helping to draw stuff up too. So that's the biggest positive for me from that injured list is that you kind of have that one or one of those anyway, final pieces that might unlock even more out of this group. So I know it might sound like nothing because you know, it's a fullback tight end hybrid player coming back who barely played last season, but we know this team was really excited and had a lot planned for him. So if it's a year late, I'll take it as long as we finally get to see that final unlocked element of this offense. Heck yeah, absolutely. And like, I just think you've seen how much Matt LaFleur values guys like with the body type of Josiah DeGuara that, like you said, that H-back guy. 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", about 250, 240, or 260 sometimes if you're talking Daphne. He's a little bit bigger dude. But, like, overall, I just think this is his guy he kind of hand-selected, and we haven't really seen him at all in action. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like come fully fully healthy. And he was – he got in the mix a little bit today. I don't don't really recall him doing too much work. It was mostly the the Tanya and definitely the Jay Sternberger show. He was was flashing a little bit. Um, I feel like DeGuar got in there a little bit, maybe on one-on-ones, but I didn't really remember him seeing on 11-on-11s. Transaction wire as well, because the injury is obviously playing a big role, as we just laid out. But a number of transactions over the past couple of days, too. You know, last time we spoke last week, 
That was right after Dennis Kelly had signed, which was obviously a major move uh, to get some depth on the offensive line. But we've got a couple players who decided to just hang it up over the last few days uh, with a, a couple recent uh, acquisitions, some young players, undrafted free agent, draft pick as well. And then a release today as well for the specialist group, yep. which honestly is a little surprising to me. I figured given some of the comments at the end of the season and, and during the offseason, we might see some competition at the various specialist spots really last all the way through camp. Yeah, absolutely. I it was kind of shocking too because there was that that grumbling, if you will, a couple weeks ago, or maybe even a week ago, about uh, Hunter Bradley kind of having to fight for a spot, and he no longer has to do that. They released today, Joe Fortunato, Fortunato, and um, like that's fine, like whatever. He I didn't really see him do much today at camp. He might have been snapping a couple times, but overall, like there's been other stuff happening. We got uh, Stepaniak who retired last week or like end of last week, right after our show basically recorded. Patrick Taylor came off the pup list and then they brought in again, Daniel Crawford, who is a tight end out of Northern Illinois, same skill set, basically same body type as Josiah DeGuara, Daphne, all these guys, uh, LaFleur's been bringing in and he basically replaced Bailey Gaither, who also decided he was going to retire. And Bailey Gaither had the absolute prime opportunity to be a preseason folk hero for the Green Bay Packers. Everything was checking boxes. I thought that was going to happen, but he decided to, you know, put his services elsewhere and retire from football. They also signed defensive lineman Josh Avery, 6'3", about 3'18", I believe. Um, we'll see what he can do. He was on with the Seahawks. He actually played in the Spring League in 2011, with, or excuse me, 2021. Um, the other transaction they made today was uh, Chauncey Rivers, who actually just had cleared waivers I want to say like this morning and he was cut by the, the, the Ravens like yesterday. So he was signed outside linebacker. He once actually played at Georgia, had some off the field stuff, transferred to uh, East Mississippi community college, which was the last chance you. Yep. And then he played at Mississippi state and has kind of been bouncing around the league a little bit. So another body to have on the edge, never a problem. Um, saw a couple guys flashing this week there. Jonathan, Jonathan Garvin looked great at camp today, but I think they're still maybe looking for that other body there. If they're going to get that from Rivers, we'll see. But uh, those are the transactions this week. And I think the other one that I did miss was Ray Wilborn, linebacker, activated from the COVID list. So that's really – that's what's shaking down. Again, no huge names really to mention. We'll see if any of those guys contribute. It's nice to see another thick guy in the middle there for that defense. Maybe they can do something with Avery. Just another big body. But really the big one is Josiah DeGuara coming back from uh, his knee injury and – you know, the unfortunate circumstance that Bailey Gaither just never will have an opportunity for a Green Bay Packer folk uh, August. Yeah, that that's a bummer. I'm really uh, upset. I mean, uh, whatever is going on that caused him to decide to retire, obviously wish Bailey Gaither the best. No, no ill will or anything uh, by any means. But I was really excited. I didn't know if he was going to actually make the roster. Maybe he was a practice squad candidate, but he really showed out this past year for San Jose State, which was by far one of the best stories in college football this year, a year that was kind of the year of the small G5 program. You had Coastal Carolina, you had Liberty making big plays. Well, then you had San Jose State on the West Coast. That was one of the best stories in all of football last year, and Bailey Gaither was a major part of that. So when I saw originally the Packers had brought him in, I thought, oh my God, this is this is the exact kind of under-the-radar, low-key kind of signing. If he had played at school at one of the UW smaller schools around the state of Wisconsin, fans would have been rioting in the streets when he retired after this. But, you know, I'm with you. He had that opportunity to be 
the folk hero, the the common man champion for the Green Bay Packers. So a uh, bummer for him. But again, whatever uh, led to him making this decision, just hope the best for him. As for the Rivers edition specifically, I actually really like this move. I subscribe to the belief that you can never have enough guys who can get after the quarterback. And look, if you have, you don't want to fill out the final couple spots on the training camp roster with just a bunch of dudes who are going to pin their ears back, so to speak, and, and rush the quarterback and maybe one of them sticks. That's a phenomenal series of acquisitions as far as I'm concerned. So for a guy who, as you mentioned, has bounced around a lot from the college ranks and now in the NFL as well, I think it was a really smart flyer for this front office to take. And again, if it works, well, then great. And it's a smart position to try to target with a little extra attention. And if not, well, to be frank, he was a flyer taken in training camp and it's really no skin off your back if it doesn't work out. So I think it's a great low risk and potentially low to medium reward kind of signing. And again, if it doesn't work out, so be it. You move on with the group you already have. Exactly. Totally agree. All right, let's move on here to some of the other action from around training camp this week. Speaking of Bailey Gaither and that wide receiver room, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on this for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's been on the wide receiver room for decades now in Green Bay because of all the success that group has had. But in recent years, we know all of the dialogue, all of the discourse about, well, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough targets. He doesn't have enough great weapons. We know the top group of wide receivers that are going to be on this team. You've got the Devontae Adams, obviously. Randall Cobb, obviously. MVS, for the foibles he does have, he is a dynamic playmaker. We know who's going to be at the top of this group. But I really do think when you get toward the bottom of the roster, some of these guys that are fighting for wide receiver five, maybe wide receiver six jobs, there's a lot of good competition. And you got to see this, Matt, up close and personal this week that there's some real talent out there, and that group is is kind of muddy right now. There's not really a clear look at how it's going to shake out. It's not clear at all. I mean, there, there was a dozen guys when Bailey Gaither gave up his jersey to Daniel Crawford, like, and now there's still 11. Like, it's it's a tough spot, and I think it's a definitive five. I think it's Devontae Adams, MVS, Amari Rogers, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and then it's pretty muddy after that because – I look at it two ways. One, you got DeGuara, who just came back from injury. That's fine. Daphne's still out. Jay Sternberger will be suspended. So instead of having, you know, a problem of maybe five tight ends uh, with, you know, Mercedes Lewis, Tanyan, those guys, like, now it's, you're looking at it where it's like, okay, maybe we do need some bigger guys. Maybe we do need the likes of a Devin Funches, an Equinamia St. Brown, a Reggie Bagleton. Some guys are a little bit thicker. You can get them on the outside and, and run running downs and just a little protection but it didn't help today that Reggie Bagleton had a really really good day like Reggie was flying around he was making some great plays him and Jordan Love had some good chemistry he had a really really good day and this is the first time we've really seen him all training camp uh Juwan Winfrey also had a good day he he's Juwan Winfrey man like I think he's bounced around a few teams he's basically been a special teams ace wherever he's gone but like he's a guy that I think if they needed to, they could stash him on the practice squad. If they're going to keep six, I think he could be potentially that seventh guy just because he is so versatile with special teams. Really, everyone else kind of was mediocre uh, that I didn't. I mean, Devin Funches was okay. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown didn't look great at all um, in the limited snaps. I saw Malik Taylor. I didn't see too do too much. I think DeAndre Thompkins got in there a little bit. Him and Jordan Love were kind of on the same page a few times, kind of really not on the same page at all. In one-on-ones, he didn't look that great. But I really look right now for – I'm going to say it's going to be seven guys just 
from the tight end situation. And I think I don't I don't see a chance where Equinonia St. Brown makes the final roster. I just don't see that. I think Devin Funches will probably stay and also Juwan Winfrey. So that's seven guys. But Reggie, if he can continue to produce this, if he does something maybe in family night tomorrow, like that could be huge for him. But realistically, I think it's probably seven guys. I could easily see six. And if you stash the seventh guy being Juwan Winfrey, that so be it. But he looked really good. Uh, and overall, it's just like that receiving core is it's very deep and it's it, I, I don't think they're going to bring anyone else. There's no reason to at this point. I think they have a solid group of 11 guys still left right now, but it's it's a tough spot to be in. But you you do have you're not worrying. Uh, you know, I feel like in previous years where you've had to worry about who's that fourth and fifth guy. I feel like that was always a conversation like, well, shoot, if Devonte goes down, where are we at? Well, I feel very confident if in some horrible world that were to happen someone at the top of the, the depth chart they got guys that can fill in better in guys guys have been in the offense for a number of years and flashy guys like Amari Rogers who looked excellent today at camp yeah and it's great to see him making splashes right away because we just talked about it last week in fact on the show that we don't know exactly what his role is going to be it's probably going to be limited this season and especially once you bring in Randall Cobb to essentially take his job for lack of a better phrase He's not going to be asked to do a ton, but if he's flashing really well in these reps he's getting during training camp, and you know if he is slash when he is called upon, he'll be able to perform, uh, that's a great sign for the future. So love to know that Amari Rogers is already performing at that level. Reggie Begleton, to me, is one of the most interesting cases on this roster. The Grey Cup champion, the former CFL All-Star Reggie mm-hmm. Begleton, is for the Stampeders, but that's fine. He has been a good training camp performer for a couple of years now. I mean, we are not strangers to the name Reggie Bagleton at this point. And it's felt the last two years, I believe it is, that it's like, man, he's the, the last guy who just didn't quite make it, but we want to keep him on the practice squad because we don't want that talent to get away. And then again, it was, well, we just can't elevate him full time. We're going to keep him around, though, because we don't want that talent to get away. It sort of feels like a combination of, It's make or break for his ability to actually get on the roster, but also for a guy who's been around now, who knows the players around, who has played with the players around him. He did get an opportunity. He was called up to the big squad uh, at one point last year. He knows the coaching staff. He knows the system. He knows what's expected of him. I would think he's in a fairly good position to be among that last one or two fighting for a spot. And I think the same can be said, as you pointed out, for Juwan Winfrey, who I mean, you look at your, your Twitter timeline, if you follow any number of Packers fans, Packers beat writers, bloggers, whatever, Juwan Winfrey's name has popped up constantly over these first seven practices of training camp so far. So I think those two might be the last ones in contention for a final spot. You know, Devin Funches, if you want to keep a bigger body, well, you might as well go with a guy who has had some level of establishment in the NFL so far. I know last year with COVID, he's been out of the game for a little bit, but there is at least a little bit of an NFL pedigree right there. EQ, it's it's a tough case with him because he's another player where you see flashes. And when he has his good moments, you think, yeah, that's why he's one of the guys who has stuck around from that trio of wide receivers, him, MVS, and Jamon Moore, who, by the way, got signed this week, which was crazy. I cannot believe Jamon Moore got signed anywhere. I think it was by the Falcons. But you see why the Packers want him to be something, why everybody was waiting with bated breath for him to get back from his injury problems and possibly make an impact. 
but it's just not consistent enough. And I feel like if, if you're the front office, if you're the coaching staff and you see guys like Winfrey, guys like Begleton balling out for the next three weeks, it's going to be hard to pass those guys up in place of a guy who has flashed, but hasn't been consistent enough to be a true threat for this offense. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And like, it's, it's going to be like the Travis Fulgami thing, right? Like where he just, you had him on the team and then he left and he blew up for a couple of weeks with the, the Eagles. And it's just what it ended up being like And Bagleton's a guy you'd love to see on this roster. Uh, I, I think it would be great. I've, I love the story of him coming from the Canadian league. That's awesome. You're a big Canadian football fan. I just found out today, which is hilarious, but realistically, like I, I Devin Funches hasn't played a game basically in two seasons. Like he got hurt in their first game. And I just, Part of me is kind of just like, okay, they, they spent money to bring him in. They want to see what they actually have on him. So that's why they brought him back again. But like, maybe, maybe it just doesn't work. Maybe I, I could see that. And if it's Begleton over him, I'd be fine with that. But between, between the two, I guess it's, it's kind of comes down to like, I feel like the last spot's going to be special teams related. And they try to get EQ out there, I think on Wednesday or Tuesday. He's not a special teams guy. Funch is definitely isn't a special teams guy. Maybe Begleton, like you said, he's done that a little bit. And Winfrey's there too. So I think that might factor in. But they got height from all these other receivers between, you know, Devontae's a little bit shorter, but Lazard and MVS, they're, they're the tall guys. Like they might be able to throw the ball up to them too. And they already got a couple of those, those lengthy dudes. So we'll see what happens, but it's a, uh, it's a, like, like we've talked about 11 guys right now and they're going to whittle it down to maybe six, I think seven, but six or seven is probably going to end up and it's going to be, it's going to be dicey. You mentioned QB two a little bit ago. Let's jump into Jordan love here because if watching from afar, I get a little fear of missing out FOMO here because I wasn't able to make it up to training camp being, you know, just a few hundred miles away in the beautiful state of Kansas. But many conflicting reports, I thought, about Jordan Love's performance this week at training camp. I saw some that said he was zinging it all over the place. He was making some great throws. He was on target. I saw plenty of the other way that, man, he just is is still really trying to grasp things. And he said all the right things when he spoke on Thursday as well, talking about the great relationship that he and Aaron Rodgers have. And I want to say it might have, I can't remember which uh, which member of the media said this, but hey, he is in a great position to learn from Aaron Rodgers, to learn from a head coach who is great with quarterbacks and as a former quarterback himself with an established offensive coordinator like Nathaniel Hackett, he's going to have all this preseason time. I just am not sure what to make of his development right now. And that's okay because you're not asking him to start right now, but you also should be expecting more of him than you are from, say, Kurt Benkert, who is the break glass in case of emergency quarterback. What did you see out of Jordan Love? Because I want to be excited about what's coming while also tempering my expectations to, you know, a certain number 12 in green and gold also was not good through his first two preseasons. So I just think given the the nature of how dramatic everything is surrounding the Packers quarterback room right now, he's under a microscope, Jordan Love is, and I think the narrative is going to be shaped one way or the other this preseason, this training camp. Where do you view it going right now? What do you think of, of what you've seen from him so far? I'm going to toe the line just for a small moment, and then I'm going to really tell you. Like, yeah, he's developing. He's he's figuring things out. He's polishing himself, and it, it's gonna. there's going to be struggles, right? There's going to be to get to that success point, it's going to take a while. And the same thing happened with Aaron Rodgers. There's been younger, other young quarterbacks that I'm brought in before and have gone on to have success and struggled in camp too. But I, to me, like I, I wasn't overly impressed today at camp. Like I really wasn't. And 
it kind of started with uh, the fun little individual drill where they're doing like the net throwing and at one point Aaron Rodgers got the crowd absolutely bonkers he he bombed a, a 50 yarder and just straight into the net which you know took him a couple times to get there but they achieved that but really like just between the three of them where it's the kind of the drop back maybe a five-step drop they're going through over the pads and the coaches kind of direct them a little bit which way to jump and they're keeping their shoulders square and keeping their head downfield and when they're told to throw the ball and hit the target like Kurt Benker was way more consistent than Jordan Love was uh Jordan Love I want to say he was like one for eight two for eight didn't look really great all that great to me when they got into the 11 on 11 he was inconsistent his progression was his progression time was like either rushed or he took too much time there was no like steady ground there's a few times he had a really clean pocket tried to step up couldn't hit a throw uh like I mentioned earlier like him and Begleton had a couple times they they went to it once they he threw out overthrew him on a, a 10 yard out and then they did the exact same play and he put it perfectly it was a beautiful throw I believe Begleton got his toes in but it I just I've I saw inconsistency and like being out there for two hours isn't tell the whole story at all maybe he just had a bad day maybe Tuesday was better I don't know what it was, but it just there was some things with his progression and he was going to check downs that I just didn't like. It was you know, it was rushed, like I said, and more often than not, he just wasn't really – he was just struggling. That's really all it came, comes down to. There was one late over the middle where he tried to feed it in between uh, the safety and Devondre Campbell, which should have been picked off, but there's two guys there going late over the middle. Like, that's a cardinal rule. Like, you don't do that in the NFL, and – I I think he's. I think he's got a long way to go. Uh, hopefully, he's made strides since, since last year. I think tomorrow for family night, though, like if he struggles a little bit and the narrative starts to go a little bit further, not in his direction, goes more towards quarterback Jesus and Kurt Binkert. Like it could be tough, but I think they're going to stick with Love as long as they can. But I, I wasn't impressed um, on Thursday, and maybe that's just you know, like I said, one out of seven chances when they've had these practices, and he just didn't look that great, but. Uh, it, it just, I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed by love and he, he's, he's raw. That's basically all it is. And he struggled and without having preseason last year, he's even behind the eight ball even more. I'm excited and intrigued and maybe almost scared a little bit. If you want to throw a trifecta of emotions in there to see where is he in two weeks when we are going into the weekend of the second preseason game, yep. for example, where is he then? Because if we have a, a natural progression, even if it's slow, that, okay, there's a little bit more consistency after a week, a little bit more consistency a week after that, I'm going to feel okay. And again, I'm, I'm not overly worried because barring injury, which obviously would derail anyone's season if it happened to your quarterback, Aaron Rodgers is starting. Aaron Rodgers is the reigning MVP, one of the greatest of all time. Not all that worried about that spot right there. But if that consistency isn't there, that's when I will start to think, okay, what needs to, to go on to be fixed here? I think the the good thing, if you want to give this the most positive spin zone you can, you would rather have all the physical traits and need the consistency than be consistent and not have the physical traits to go along with it, because that's the makeup of a sixth round pick who's a career backup quarterback. I mean, that's that gives you Chase Daniel, which is fine. Chase Daniel has made $34 million or something in his career for taking maybe 100 total snaps, but you don't trade up and use the 26th overall pick on Chase Daniel. You use that for your future starting quarterback. And I generally lean on the optimistic to hyper-optimistic side of things, so I don't want to write him off right now. But if we get 
two, three weeks, even all the way through training camp. And it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's 50% astoundingly good and 50% astoundingly bad. That's, I think, where the the concern is going to fall in for me. 100%. I totally agree. Like, I'm, I'm glad you're optimistic. And I, I generally am too, especially with a young player like this. But uh, we'll see how he progresses. And it's, uh, like you mentioned, that second preseason game, like, they're going to be able to play prior to that, that whole week. They're going to be able to play. Uh, they're doing the inner scrimmage with the Jets. And that should that should be telling too. Like, what what is it looking like when he's going up a brand new team that he hasn't seen in basically all preseason, or excuse me, all offseason? Um, maybe he's got some confidence coming off the Texans game. Maybe he struggled a little bit and he's able to prove it in those practices. But I think we'll have a great, great understanding in a, by, you know, at close, was it 20th, 21st? So the 22nd, basically. So a couple weeks from now. We've been talking so much about the offense today, and rightfully so. There's a lot to get to. But before we finish up, let's get to the defense here. And you want to talk about a player that has progressed year after year to become what I think is one of the two best cornerbacks in the NFL. And now he's taking on maybe a little different role as well. Uh, It's Jair Alexander, who is off to a great start at camp, as you would expect, because he is, again, I think one of the two best cornerbacks in the NFL but you got to see this up close and personal this week, Matt, that he is now maybe moving into a little bit of a different role and may have some added responsibility this year as well. Yeah, it's it's time and time again. People have talked about Joe Barry's defense and the star position and how important that is. And earlier this week, I was watching the um, Pack-A-Day version on YouTube with uh, Andy Herman, and he talked about how Chandon Sullivan's basically been exclusively at that nickel spot and or that star position. And going into practice, I was like, okay, I really want to see what Chandon can do. And he, he looked really, really good on uh, the one-on-ones. He looked good in like the team drills, but then when they got him out there, he didn't, he didn't get as much snaps at the nickel spot. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, what the hell? And as they transition more from, you know, more of a running formation to maybe more spread uh, four wide and there's Jair lined up in the nickel look lined up in the slot. I'm like, okay, maybe that's just a, a one-off, but sure enough, like there was a couple reports after that. That was his first time in the Joe Barry defense, getting some shots there. And I think that's been one of the biggest topics of discussion, especially with that secondary is what does that look like for this defense? Like, do you go with the trend that is a lot of teams putting their, their, most physical, most talented receiver in the slot and then letting Jair play over him. And they've done that a few times, not exclusively. Obviously, there's still that option for him to move outside and play on the perimeter. But with Joe Barry, who focuses so much on that position, like I I wasn't sure who that guy would be. I thought if it was Adrian Amos, that would be great. But that took him out of more of the linebacker hybrid role and kind of eliminates what he does best is be able to come up and you know fill a hole or get deep in center field. And with Jair there, like, I guess the only way that works is if Kevin King comes back healthy and is ready for week one. Because, and even then, like, you're still going to have Stokes on the outside by himself. And Stokes looked good today. I will not say anything bad about Eric Stokes. I thought he looked very fine. He played some really good defense. But if Jair moves to the middle or in that star spot, that nickel spot, that is going to be just an absolute another wrinkle for this defense. And it's going to take a while for Joe Barry's defense to get working, right? It's going to, they're not going to 
it's not going to go smooth the first couple of weeks. We all know that. And I hope everyone's tapering their expectations that way. But if he can experiment a little bit like this and even just be like, okay, you know what, if this is going on, I can move 23 into the nickel spot. Okay. This isn't working. Give me 39 again, put the nickel, put my nickel who's been playing there basically all August there. That's fine. But I just, it, it's, you're going to have to be fluid with it. And the one thing too, um, that Jacob Westendorf actually brought up today at training camp was like, you could put Jair in the slot, but if he's playing exclusively there, like just understand all the big bodies moving around. There's always collisions. There's always people getting their feet tangled where he's on the outside. You don't have to worry about that as much, so you're not you know, worried about injury so much. But I think wherever you put Jair is great. I think being able to move him around a little bit and see what he can do uh, is exactly what Joe Barry should be doing. Figure out what these pieces you are. Figure out what these tools you have in your toolbox and see if they can play um, on this new vamp defense. But it was it was awesome to see him playing there and. I, I think Jair is just such a dynamic player. You could put him damn near anywhere, and he's going to make plays. He's so damn confident. His ball skills are incredible. His recovery speed is great, and I think he could play that nickel spot or you know mix and match whenever they need to. But that was something interesting that I was able to see today that I didn't think that was going to happen. I was fully prepared to see Chandon Sullivan playing there, especially from the, the video that Andy had put out earlier in the week. And then I get there, and he really didn't do it as much as I thought. And Jair got most of the snaps there, and it was awesome to see, and I hope – I hope he gets an opportunity there at some point. I think that versatility and that flexibility is going to be essential. Like you said, especially early on with this defense under Joe Barry to actually find out what is going to work the best, because it, it might seem you might, we might get to week seven and Hey, this defense functions the best when Jair Alexander is there at the star. And it might not make sense because you'd think put him outside on, on whoever the best outside threat is. But if that's the way this defense functions the best, then that's what you have to do. It reminds me a little bit of actually new age baseball thinking, where okay. instead of putting your best relief pitcher as your closer, you might actually use that guy sometimes in the seventh inning. You might use him in the eighth inning, maybe in the ninth inning. It's something that has been going on in baseball for years because the thought is, well, why would you save your best arm for the ninth when the most high leverage situation might actually be the eighth inning? I think of this in a very similar format that, Look, if you're going up against a team that has a, an elite outside threat who's going to stay outside for the duration of the game, well, yeah, leave Jair Alexander out there to put a guy on an island to take out that threat because that's the kind of corner he is. He is a true shutdown cornerback. But again, if you find out that the way to make the defense click the best is to move him into a different position, you go ahead and do that. You put your best players in the best position to succeed for themselves individually and for your defense as an entire unit. Now I will say, and you brought this up too, is that that puts a lot of pressure on the other guys in the cornerback room to be able to win their one-on-one -on -one matchups on the outside to win without getting a ton of help because you can get a lot of help when Jair Alexander is shutting down a number one wide receiver on the outside. You can get extra safety help, whatever it might end up being, but this puts pressure on Kevin King to be able to win matchups. This puts pressure on the rookie, Eric Stokes, who I think of it as a good thing that he's been tested constantly by Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams that, hey, if you're going to get tested trial by fire in training camp, you might as well get tested by the best wide receiver quarterback duo in the game. It puts a lot of pressure as well on a Josh Jackson who got plenty of reps during training camp on Thursday during practice. And he's a guy who myself and I know a lot of other people have been hoping will break out for some time now. So if that is what actually makes the secondary get to its peak, if that is what takes them to the ultimate level for this group, 
then fine. I hope that's what the Packers end up doing, but that's also going to take some really refocused and improved effort. And I say effort just in terms of overall play, not necessarily, you know, effort during play to play. You know what I mean? I'm trying to besmirch anyone who's out there in that secondary, but whatever it takes to get this defense to its top level is, is what you have to do. It honestly also too, to bring up this point, because I like Shannon Sullivan. I think he's a, he's a fine player. And like you said, uh, from Andy's video that he looked like he was going to be exclusively in that role. You know, I think back to a few years ago when Clay Matthews was playing inside linebacker for the Packers, and it wasn't because he was a great inside linebacker. It's because the Packers didn't have anyone better, and they just threw him in there and said, all right, this is going to be the best. He's maybe not great at it, but it's what's going to work the best for us. Well, if Sullivan isn't cutting it at that star position and you have to move Alexander there because it's just the best fix at the time, then you do that as well. So the fact that he is not only as good as he is at what he already does, but looks to be a good fit in that secondary position as well. It speaks to the unbelievable talent that he is, but also to the fact that this team is going to have some options on that back end uh, to fill spots that previously they might not have been able to fill. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not a bad problem to have uh, and being fluid with that. And just, I think that's exactly what this defense needs. Cause it's going to take a while, like I said, to get their footing and, being staying adjustable staying staying fluid is and pivoting is going to be ideal and I like the comparison though the Clay Matthews thing that's I, I think it's slightly different position wise but I get the concept like they needed a guy and he can be your guy and I think there's enough thankfully there's enough dudes in the defensive backfield that they don't have to worry about but if you want someone that can do it the best Jair is probably your dude how exciting is it that when we record this podcast coming up next week, we will be getting ready for actual Green Bay Packers football preseason. Yeah, but we will be getting ready for football. The 14th, that is the preseason opener for the Packers when they take on the Houston Texans at Lambeau Field. We're excited for it. Big week at training camp and practice this week, and we'll have plenty more to get to on the final dump coming up next Friday morning as well. Make sure you are subscribed on whatever podcast listing service you use to Game on Wisconsin so you can get our podcast and everything else on the network as well. You can find Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore F-R-A underscore and myself as well at Brendan DZW. Matt, fun week of practice. Excited to see uh, what we have going into next week into the spring spring training, into the preseason opener. No, it's going to be great. We've got family night tomorrow too. Let's not overpass that. Now, if you're local, you'll get the game. Anyone that lives like 70 miles or I guess outside of Green Bay or a outside of Wisconsin, you're not going to get it. So I think it's in like sports 32 or my sports 32 or whatever the hell weird bunny ears channel it is, but training camp's always decent. There's always something to come out of it. Uh, you hope for no injuries, but it's, it's always crazy that 70,000, well, not at this point, 82,000 fans will be able to show up for a, essentially a glorified practice and just watch the, the, the white jerseys play the, the green jerseys and offense versus defense. And yeah, you hope no one comes out injured. And I, I'm, curious to see who's going to light it up because there's always either a couple guys but that should be absolutely a blast tomorrow enjoy family night coming up on friday night we will talk to you next friday morning for matt fralick i'm brendan dorzinski this has been the final dump we'll talk to you next friday well wayne i think this is one that vince lombardi and george hallis would be proud of you could just give me the touchdown then it's hard to overturn you know what i mean i understand that's that. a good effort though, wasn't it? It? That's pretty good effort